Hey, Brett, how's it going today? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance. So we just hit number 50 last week. Yep, we're moving on to season two, I guess, right? Is that what we're calling it now? (laughs) Season two? Sure. It's all downhill from here, right? Yep. (laughs) So this week, I actually kind of want to do a throwback and talk about something that we talked about very, very early on. So your trivia question is, do you remember what our first series was about? Not our first episode, but our first series. Uh, that was when we had Adam on, right? Because that is the only series that we've done. Oh, I guess we've done a couple since then, but the budgeting was the biggest one we've ever yeah, done. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, that was my uh, trivia question, right? <laughs> it was, actually. So I want to revisit budgeting. And I think we're going to make this a two-parter. So first, I want to talk about how to budget. And then we can get into like the more specific details about maybe areas you can you know free up money or kind of give you ballpark estimates of where your money should be going every month but i think the most the important step that we haven't ever really talked about on the podcast yet is like how do you budget how do you stick to a budget yeah i guess we've been dancing around that topic for a while now right we talked about you know all the prepping and planning and figuring out kind of the math and the numbers and how to put things into different buckets but never really talked about the discipline of like getting started in that process, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I would say for us, it's probably because we've kind of intuitively moved towards this model where we don't strictly budget anymore. We have an idea in our head of how much we should spend, and we're very aware of our spending every month. But we more so take the approach that we review it at month end and then say, okay, these areas all seemed reasonable or, hey, we spent too much money in this area this month and we need to be more aware of that going forward. Right. But for people getting started now, I think that's that's a ways away from having that mental fortitude. Right. Right. To, it's like trying to be a runner or trying to run a marathon or prepare for a marathon, but you've never run a mile before, right? Yeah. And it's definitely not how I started budgeting, right? It's just kind of what we've evolved to over time. I kind of think about it as like dieting, right? Like when you first start eating healthy, you probably have to be more aware of like exactly how many calories you're eating and stuff. But then like, you know, you move to a place of like intuitive eating or intuitive budgeting and it just kind of clicks. So I actually wanted to go back though and talk about um, some of my first attempts at budgeting. So I would say, you know, I... I was aware of money as a kid and I saved a lot of money, but it wasn't really until I was in college that I had the responsibility of all of my expenses, right? So I had to make sure my rent was going to be paid and my groceries and like all my utility bills, right? So I, in college, I remember one of the first budgets I really tried to implement when I was like, I should really get better at this was like the envelope model. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, It's where you just save money in an envelope, right? (laughs) No. So it's actually where you have like 10 different envelopes for all your different categories. So one is rent, one is utilities, one is groceries, et cetera, et cetera. And you can, you put in the beginning of the month, you load it all with your money or your pay period. Some people do every two weeks. And then you can only spend that amount of money in your envelope on that item. So, like, for my groceries, if I was, like, down to $5 and I still had a week and a half left, like, I had to figure out how to eat on $5 for the last week and a half of the month. 
Okay, yeah, and that makes sense for ancillary spending like groceries, but I don't know if I get away with my utility bills with that one. Well, I think the idea is you look back, you know, what I kind of did was I looked back over the last year and I said, okay, on average, it's this much per month. So then I would put in, you know, let's say it was $100 a month, which, you know, that's kind of high, but whatever, um, $100 a month. Then if, let's say my share came in at like $66, I would roll over that 34 mm-hmm. because then I was like, okay, well, maybe it was because it was summer, right? And in winter, it'll be more expensive when we're running the heat. And then I wouldn't like allow myself to cash out unless I rolled over like, like if I would have rolled over like $130, I was I would have been like, okay, I can take $30 because 100 is like already in my maximum, right. right? You can go through a rebalancing exercise because one, your numbers appear to be too too low or too right. high, right? If you're creating so much of a surplus and you take that money and you roll that, where does that go if you have such a surplus in one area? Do you put that in savings in that case or does that become like spending money? I would put it into savings. So the way my envelopes worked is I saved first every month in my bank account and then I would take the money out from the ATM that I needed which was less than how much I made, right? And then I even had, like, I had an other category because there are things that come up, if you think about it. Like, you know, in a general month, you might be like, oh, I need, you know, a new hose, right? Or, like, whatever it is. Those aren't necessarily things that you pre-plan for or have a bucket for. Mm -hmm. So I did have an other category to catch some of that stuff. But then I couldn't borrow from an envelope. So, like... If my grocery money ran out, but my other money still had cash in it, I made a rule for myself that I couldn't borrow from that. So um, that was kind of important to me because, like you said, then I would go through a rebalancing of, like, if I was consistently running out of money for groceries, then I should look at putting more in at the beginning of the month. But I shouldn't borrow from these other categories for it, you know? Yeah. And... When when would you suggest somebody start that exercise? Like when is the right time for that? Like high school? Like as soon as they have money coming in, is that a good so, exercise to run through? Like you know, with your kids? I, I I don't know that it's a good exercise to run through for kids. Maybe it is. Um, it'd be harder for kids, but I think it could still be valuable. Um, maybe I should just talk about the pros and cons of the envelope method first, sure, because sure. I don't think it's right for everybody. Um. So for for me, it didn't it didn't work out in the long run. I just felt like frustrated by it, and I didn't like having to get cash all the time. <laughs> and I like doing things digitally. And I also just felt like maybe for me with my personality type, I'm I'm better at like optimizing things. So sometimes I felt frustrated of like, well, I. You know, like some people like the idea of having, okay, I'm giving myself the freedom to spend so much money. But then for me, like I had a clothing budget at that point in my life because I liked going out and shopping. And for me, it was like enabling that bad habit to continue. Mm -hmm. So I think it can be good for a lot of people. So I think the pros of it are, you know, it really taught me to be cognizant of the dollars because I had the physical cash. So when I was going to the grocery store, I could see like, okay, I am spending you know, 40% of my grocery budget in the first week, is this worth it? And I could really feel it and adjust as necessary. So I think it was more reactive. So I kind of recommend it for people very early on in their budgeting, as long as they're going to play by the rules. Because, you know, for me, I, I didn't put purchases on a debit or credit card at that point, because I was only doing this cash thing. So 
I think it's more of a short-term thing that I think would be good for anybody who hasn't really budgeted before and really needs like a very regulated, controlled environment. So it could be kids in high school. It could be, I did it in college. That was a good time. Or like if you are in your 40s or 50s and have never budgeted and have a really hard time, then I think it'd be very good for you as well. And But I think it's more of like a three-month exercise. I don't think it's sustainable long-term. Right. It's just a lot of physical maintenance, I suppose, right? Yeah. And you just have to, yeah. And you don't want to lose one of those envelopes, for sure. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's just very clunky. But I think it's it's a good exercise, if, especially if you need to visualize what you're doing. You know, some people learn a lot more by like visualizing it instead of just looking at a screen. And so you have the physical envelopes, you have the physical cash. Um, so I think it's it's good in that aspect. And I think, so yeah, back to your advice. Like, I know when I was in high school, actually, my dad implemented something similar, but he would just give me like $100 a month, which when people, when I tell people that now they're like, you had a hundred dollar a month allowance, like that's enormous. But it was literally like all of my, um, lunch money and all of my like fun money with friends, which like, if you think about it, it adds up because a lot of teenagers, they go to the movies every weekend. That's $10 every weekend. That was 40% of my budget. Right. Yeah. And so it made me think about like, do I really want to go see this movie? Or, like, even buying lunch money, right? Like, most kids get, most school lunches are about 2 to $3. So, you're looking at $20 a week for food, which that would have been $80 out of my 100 So, that took my allowance down to $20 if I used it to pay for lunch. But instead, I could opt to, like, pack a lunch. Like, my dad still give, gave me access to other food. And so, it actually made me very aware at a young age of my spending. So, I actually really recommend... For high schoolers, instead of maybe this like strict envelope method where they're like deciding where their money goes, give them a set amount and be like, you have to cover all of these things with it and you have to figure it out. Because that really taught me how to prioritize things. Right. Because if you're if they're just getting money on demand, right, as things come up, oh, I'm going to the movies this weekend. Can I have $10? Right. That doesn't teach them anything. It just teaches them to ask for more money when they need more money. Well, and That's I think a bad habit. if you do the envelope system and you're like, okay, I'm going to give you all of your lunch money, which is $80 a month, and your entertainment, which I'll set for $40 a month, and your clothes, which I'll give you $50 or whatever it is, kids can get very expensive that way. The $100 was literally my everything. Any back-to-school clothing that I wanted, I would have to save all year out of my $100 a month so that I could have money to go back to school shopping in September. Right, because they're they're learning all the lessons about where to make choices, right? right. About where does that money go? What, you know, what am I prioritizing? Versus, like, I know they've made the decision to do something, and then they need to find the money to go do it. Right? Yeah, that's it's a totally backwards approach. So, yeah, that's a that's a very good suggestion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we covered the envelope method. We derailed and talked about what I think is the right thing to do with high school mm-hmm. kids. So now let's talk about um, another method that I switched to shortly after my envelope method just wasn't working for me because it was too much maintenance and. I didn't like to get cash all the time. I actually started using the Mint budgeting tool. Have you ever used that? Yeah, I've been using that since, gosh, I was in high school. Since I think since it came out. Yeah. Like it was one of the early internet tools that I thought was like, this is one of the best things I found on the internet. Well, so Mint in general, we've talked a lot about to track your expenses. But I actually went in and created a monthly budget as well in there. So similar to the envelope method, I could budget how much I should spend in every category, 
But the pro to me was it took all of the work on my end out of it because I just swiped with my credit or debit card and Mint automatically categorized everything and would send me emails if I was like, because you could like switch the settings. So it'd be like, you're ahead of pace or you're behind pace or, you know, you're almost running out of money for your coffee budget. And that to me was much more helpful than trying to do it manually. Right. You have a, a system that is policing you on your like active spending categories. And it's a broad range of categories. I mean, it can be as narrow as shopping or uh, groceries or right? it's, it's all the right. The I guess it's the right level. You can, Well, yeah. you can completely customize it, mm-hmm. which is what I did. So... You know, I had my main categories and I still had a miscellaneous category, but yeah, I had gas and car insurance and utilities. I had all of that built in. And for me, Mint was just, you know, it's, I think there's two camps. There's the people that feel the pain when they're spending cash. I've always actually been the opposite. Like when I have cash, because it's not documented and logged in my Mint history forever, I feel like it's free money. Like, nobody knows what where this money is going, right? It's, like, yeah, undisclosed. Yeah, no accountability. Yeah. yeah. So, for me, everything on Mint, like, what's really cool is I've been a Mint user since 2009, 2010 era. I can go back and see every year. I can see, like, eight years of budgeting history, which is awesome mm-hmm. feedback as somebody who likes data. So, yeah. some But I, there's also the other camp of people when they have a credit card feel like they have unlimited money to spend. And I just want people to get that concept out of their brain right now, right? Because that that's not it. So use that tool, but think of it as the tool to access your envelopes that you're just storing on Mint, right? Right. Treat it like you would treat a debit card anyway. I guess. Right. Because you should only spend the money that you have in your bank account tied to that. If you don't have the money for it already, then don't buy it, right? And, you know... Don't get yourself into trouble with credit card debt. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then going a little bit further, talking about Mint and how you can make it very granular or very high level, I think that's kind of an important distinguishment for people to make. So, like, for you, Brett, when you set up your budget in Mint, did you make it very specific or did you keep it pretty broad so that it was, like, easier to stick to? I had broad categories um, set up early on. So I had... And I had it tied to what I had set up in my bank account system as like multiple savings accounts. So I broke into like seven different savings accounts for different categories of like things I was saving for, like a vacation fund and like a new car fund. And so like you were setting things. up sinking funds without even realizing it. Sure. Yeah. You know, look at me being uh, getting ahead of the game. Pioneer. Yep. And then, yeah, inside of Mint, I was also categorizing everything that I was spending inside of those, and and maybe you know a couple of those mapped to those bank accounts, and so anything I had extra that I was rolling over, or I had extra like if my shopping budget was like a hundred dollars a month or two hundred dollars a month or whatever, anything I had extra there, I would roll into like one of those savings accounts that I was like trying to save for, um, like going toward my vacation fund or going toward you know whatever. Um, so yeah, you kind of. You used mint goals more so than you used the budget. So you basically saved first, you spent out of what was remaining, and then if you had anything left over, you would roll that out over to savings. Yeah, too. kind of a combo, yeah. Mm-hmm. So prioritize the goals. So yeah. did you ever like 
sit down and say, my grocery budget is $200 a month or whatever. Yeah, so that's what, that's where I assigned the categories, and that's when I knew whether I was over or under my spend limit. Okay. Or that's how I, that's how I was taking that difference, and then rolling that into like my my sa- one of those savings accounts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you know that's that's kind of where, you know, I think a lot of people probably, well, most people that I know probably don't have as aggressive as a savings plan as you, but it's more so focus first on getting those categories set up that you're spending money on, right? right? First first step is traceability. Get the data and the system so you know where it's going. Then you can apply some rules on it, which is the budgeting, right? So you can say, you know, put in some, some thresholds for what you want to spend in each area and then start tightening those notches, right? Right. It's kind of the third step is... And it's, it's kind of just about being aware, right? So like... A budget is a plan. You're, it's not like you're going to execute it 100% perfectly all of the time, right? But it's more so a guideline of like, I want to spend around this amount of money. And slight, right? You can go slightly over or slightly under, and it's not going to make or break you. But you don't want to like be so unaware of where your money is going that you sit down at the end of it and you're like, wow, my other category was $3,000, <laughs> Right. But I mean, all these internet tools are just like, you know, an exercise in mental manipulation. And, uh, you know, there's bells and whistles trying to get your attention everywhere you go. And this is an exercise where you get a nag email every time you like exceed a threshold. Right. And that's that's mentally like changing your behavior. Yes. Right. Whether you realize it or not. And I will say you have to want to budget. So I used to help. Well, I still help people with budgets. Um but I, I did this in college and I set it up for a friend and she had the opposite approach. So when she started getting these emails from Mint, she hated them so much saying she was getting close to her spend limit. She would just go back into Mint and just hit like the plus arrow to like <laughs> increase her budget so that she didn't get these nagging emails anymore. So don't do that, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not the system's not going to work if you basically turn it off. Yeah. Well, and... I think you have to find the budgeting method that works for you. So we talked about the envelope method. We talked about Mint. And then what we do now is, and I think what can work for a lot of people, because there's less rules, and I think a lot of people like less rules, is save first, figure out how much money you want to save, save that amount of money, and then whatever you have left, you can spend. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of gone from the most extreme, the most strict rule to the most free, And it's really just about figuring out what works for you because, you know, some people like me when I was in college, they want that this is how much I can spend on every category and I can't go over and I can't borrow because that's what really builds your frugality muscles, right? That's what really helps strengthen your mental capacity for all of this budgeting. But now at this phase in our life, I would feel very restricted by that. Where I'm like, well, if we've decided we can spend this much money per month, it kind of goes back. And maybe for me, while it, why it works so well is because that's how my dad trained me in high school to spend money was like, I have this pool of money and I can do whatever I want with it, but I can't spend more than this. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think so maybe that's that's why that works for me. And I will say a big thing with budgeting is different methods work for different people. So try different ones until you figure out what works for you. And really, you'll figure out what works for you when you can hit all of the goals that you want to hit. 
Yeah, I mean, start off simple. That's that's the easiest way to, to break into it, right? Don't you don't want to cr- jump into a system where you just like feel like it's controlling you, right? right. You want to feel like you're controlling the system, but it's making you a little bit better. And the you know, as you continue doing it and you continue tightening the notches, right, and adding more things into those, you know, or reducing the spend, I guess, in each of those categories, that gives you more free money. That gives you more money to invest and build a future. And the the faster you can get through that process to train yourself to you know to to optimize the sooner in life that you're going to be as as successful as you want to be but i will say like early on it might feel very restrictive and controlling so kind of know that going in like it's it's a learning curve and anything you try any new thing in life is going to feel very difficult at first but like stick through it like say okay i will set a budget and I will try it for three months or something. Don't just like try it for a week and be like, oh, it's not working. Right. Especially, I mean, you're going to get into that situation where, you know, you have $10 left in this account and like somebody wants you to go out to the bar or something, right? And it's going to be $20 to go, you know, buy drinks. And you're going to be like, well, you know, I get to make a choice now of like whether I want to actually go do that or whether I want to, you know, save that money. Right. And and not exceed my limitation. Right. And eventually, I mean, you may you may go out a couple times and push it over the limit, but eventually, you know, you're going to feel kind of guilty for doing that. And and it'll something will click. Right. Right. And and part of it, too, is making it realistic. Like, if you know, I really enjoy, you know, for me, I really enjoy going paddleboarding. And there's like this paddleboard event in town that is once a month and it's fifteen dollars. I just pre-plan for that so I don't feel guilty. Like, that's my entertainment budget, right? Mm -hmm. And so the big thing is to be realistic with it all, but also to really evaluate, like, is this actually making me happy or am I just, like, going to happy hour with coworkers because it's a habit that I've gotten into? But I'd be fine, like, inviting the same coworkers over to my house and just having drinks here, right? And so it's, like... Constantly challenging yourself to be like, well, is it really the spending the money that's making you happy or is it an underlying thing that you could still get that same value added to your life for cheaper? And when you're down to your last $10, you're going to figure out very quickly like what thing you're willing to spend that $10 on. Yeah. I mean, we had that voice of reason in college. Like everybody wanted to like go out all the time and like, you know, have huge group socializations. And then we were like, well, if we've got 20 people that are all going to go do the same thing, it's way cheaper to like stay home. And, like, have all those people come over than it is to, like, have everybody go out and spend ten times as much money as they would otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've really covered kind of the main schools of budgeting from restrictive to non-restrictive. If you have a different model of budgeting that you use that works for you and your family, I would actually like to hear it. Because I'm curious, like, what other people do, right? Like, we know what works for us, but I think it's always... Really cool to hear about what works for other people and what other people are doing and implementing in their lives. So, Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. And stay tuned for part two next week where we're actually going to talk more about how to set those different categories. And I have all sorts of fun facts prepared. Oh, good. And everybody loves fun facts, right? (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.